Is that working? Good. It, uh, we had David up uh, to start our summer series this year, and of course he did a, his normal wonderful job. We always love having him there. We love this church. We're so thankful for your success and for the work that you do in the cause of Christ. We love David and his family and everybody who's here. And we're especially thankful that you've invited us to be with you. Uh, Miss Ginger is with me tonight. This is, uh, if it weren't for that girl sitting right back there, I would probably be in a ditch someplace moldering away. Because uh, she made all the difference in the world in terms of my spiritual life, introduced me to the Lord, introduced me to the church. And uh, I'm always thankful for her. With regard to that, plus she's been the, the source of uh, uh, my happiness in this, in this life. And uh, we, I try to repay her for that. She's a, she's a pretty good girl. We, we're, we're thankful for each other and we're thankful to be with you this evening. You know, when you, when you have these one-nighters, that's what uh, preachers call them sometimes. When you have these one-nighters, it's a little difficult to know exactly what to do but uh, I, I got to thinking a while back about the book of Romans and for, for a lot of us the book of Romans is kind of a, a daunting study because it's big I mean it has some huge ideas in it plus it's pretty substantial in terms of its length but it's, it's a tremendous study, and it's a tremendous study for those of us who are already Christians. Of course, it's a great study to take somebody on that is not a Christian. Because you find in the book of Romans, the scheme of redemption revealed in, in its completion and perfectly. But for those of us who are Christians, it's mighty good to go back over this kind of material and think about it again. There's a problem with that, though. The problem is it's hard to do. It's hard to do because uh, every line in the book of Romans is a sermon. Just about every single line that you look to is a sermon. But we're going to do our best and we're going to divide the book up and we're going to concentrate in certain areas. But we're going to look at uh, the book of Romans from the point of view of the prologue, which is the first 15 verses or so, and then uh, the, uh, the, the, the thesis of the book of Romans, which is chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And then we're going to think about the book of Romans from this perspective as a journey from sinner to saint. A book that tells us about the journey in this life from sinner to saint. Now I've already said, and I'll emphasize that again, that I know most of us in this study tonight, in this room tonight, have already obeyed the gospel. Most of you are of the age of accountability and, and then some. 
and we've obeyed the gospel. What we're going to do is look at this with the idea of helping us to review and to have in our minds the power and the beauty of the book of Romans. Now, Paul begins by saying, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received, we, he says we, that's himself, Paul, and the other apostles, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's the introduction, that's the salutation, that's how Paul introduces this letter. And then he says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. The people at Rome who are receiving the gospel are called to be saints. But people don't start out as saints. People start out as sinners. Now what's a saint? We want to remember very quickly what a saint is. A saint's a sanctified person. A saint's not a special category of sanctified people. Like sometimes some churches have saints, you know, we call St. John, St. Bartholomew, St. whatever. It's not like that at all. A saint is simply a sanctified person. A person set apart from the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now these people are called to be saints. Now, if you'll notice, in most translations, the expression to be is in italics, which means it's added by the translators, but they're called saints, but... In the text, uh, most translators look at this from the point of view is that these people were called to be saints. Called by what? Called by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul states early on in this letter, I want to come be with you. I want to come be with you and I want to spend some time with you. Because I want to impart a gift to you. Now we know that Paul and the other apostles were given the Holy Spirit. Now, the the initial apostles, the original apostles, received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And and the Holy Spirit came upon them. We know that that happened because they were able to speak languages that they had not learned. And Paul, of course, is an apostle born out of due season. He, He got his apostleship a little bit later, but with that apostleship, he also received those miraculous gifts. And we learn from Acts chapter 8 that apostles were the only people who were privileged and given the ability to impart supernatural gifts of the Spirit to other people. And they could do so by the laying on of hands. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, of course, had to call for Peter and John to come down from Jerusalem in order to impart gifts. And we know that that's what happened because a crooked fellow tried to buy the uh, ability to impart those gifts. So we understand how all that happens. That's part and parcel of our studies over the years of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, and other places. 
So Paul wants to come to Rome to visit these people, to spend some time with them in order to impart to them a gift. And he, he portrays his desire in such a fashion that we can see the fervor of that desire. A lot of sermons have been preached over this idea, the I am's of Paul. And there are three right here. He said, I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, this is verse 14, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you or in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I am debtor. He said, I want to come over there and I want to help you and I want to be involved in preaching the gospel for you, to you, to whoever we can influence because I feel a debt. I feel a debt. I am debtor. He said, I'm debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. The reason he felt that way was that he knew what had happened in his life was a tremendous change. And I mentioned about Ginger, and I'm always talking about Ginger, talking about family. Probably do that too much, but thing is, you know, I was bumping along through life, <laughs> not doing such a great job of living it. But then once I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I felt a certain debt. I think David probably did. I think many of us do. We feel a debt that we ought to be faithful to God. We ought to do our work for the local congregation. We ought to contribute the way we know we're gifted to be able to do. We feel that, that debt. And so he says, I'm ready. I'm ready. And now there's a difference between a constant state of readiness and doing something about it. You can always be ready, but Paul was not only ready, he went ahead and did. He went ahead and did what he was able to. To do, We need to remember that. And then he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now that's an interesting little passage. How many of you have that memorized? Just about everybody, I'm sure. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Over the history of the church in this part of the country, in this part of the world, there have been a lot of huge gospel meetings. Back in the day when you could put up a tent, you could get a lot more folks out than you can now. We can still get folks out, but there was a time, believe it or not, if you, if you put the tent up or if you rented a hall, and talked about having a gospel meeting, you, you'd get a house full every single night. And there were meetings preached on Romans 1.16. And you can look these up. There were meetings preached based on Romans 1.16 for the entire week's meeting, two weeks meeting, three weeks meeting. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And obviously what did the preacher do? The preacher took that and just went and, and talked taught everything about the, the gospel, taught everything about the Lord, taught everything about the church. And Paul said, I'm ready to come and do that for you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, 
The just shall live by faith. Now he's quoting Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Now that's just the introduction. That's the thesis. That's, that's material that you all know. But what you have in Romans in the first, uh, I don't know, about 11 chapters, and really what I'm going to emphasize right now, the first uh, nine chapters, you have a toolbox. You have a toolbox that helps us to understand where we are as Christians. Now I know I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you like you're not Christians because I'm, I know you wouldn't be here tonight if you weren't. But it helps us to understand where we are as Christians, this toolbox. Because what Paul does, first three chapters, he talks about the reality of sin. And then in the, the next number of uh, verses, he talks about the solution to sin. And then from the beginning of chapter 6 to the conclusion of chapter 8, he talks about the life of faith. Now when we look at, when we look at our world today, and, and this, I know it, it's hard for, for somebody like me to, to stay off of this, but there is depicted... In this section from chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 and verse 20. There is depicted in this section an exact picture of our world right now. Now there's an emphasis here in the reality of sin. First he deals with the Gentiles, then he deals with the Jews, and then he says everybody. Now we don't have that many folks of the Jewish uh, faith or delineation among us. But we can certainly see, and we can look at it from a number of points of view, the, the perspective of the Gentiles or the pagan people does very strongly reflect the reality of the world that you and I live in. And it's a, it's a, it's a stinking, rotten, terrible set of circumstances. And we live in one of the best parts of the country in order to survive and to get through this situation. To live in the southeast part of the United States, uh, some, and there'd be not the only part that's good, but you've got the Midwest, some of the far west, not, not the coast out there, but some of the, what I call the cowboy country. You know, but you've got a lot of parts of the country that are better to live in with regard to this matter of the paganism that has come back with such great force in our world today. We live in one of the best parts because we still have a lot of people around us that believe at least in the concept and idea of God. Now, here's the problem. We, as I noticed this on the television the other day. I was watching the news, which I, I do very little. Because the news hurts me. And, I, and I'm, I'm not just talking about the national news. Now the local news. You know, most of these local news stations, they get, they get what they're going to talk about. They get marching orders from Los Angeles and New York. And they, they're told what to emphasize, you see. So that's the real world that we live in. And so this, this uh, fellow, was, he was interviewing another guy, and he said, you know, we've got to be careful around here. We've got to, we've got to uh, liberalize our society because the folks who are moving into our communities are woke. 
Now, you know what woke is. And uh, we don't want to have our, uh, you know, talking about Huntsville and Florence and these communities around here. We don't want to get ourselves canceled, do we? I'm happily canceled by these folks. And what you say, what are you talking about, Bill? I'm talking about a society and a culture that absolutely ridicules the idea of living according to God and his word. Listen to what Paul wrote here. Talking about the reality of sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now the King James says, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You remember that? Some of you may still tote that. I've got a copy of it right here. Now, you know what the word hold there and suppress in the New King James, you know what it means? It means hold down. Hold it down. And what Paul is saying here, the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. Men who are unrighteous, people who are unrighteous, who hold the truth down. They hold it down in unrighteousness. And brothers and sisters, that's what's being done every day in our world. The truth being held down. When was the last time that you heard anybody on the news, in any way, shape, or form, take the position that killing unborn children is sinful and wrong? Oh, I can't say that. That's not woke. That's not, that might upset somebody to talk about that. When was the last time you heard somebody say in a, in a public way that the best and, and most rational perspective for men and women is for one man and one woman to live life together as a married couple. Not two fellas and not two ladies. Now, I love everybody. Somebody says, well, Bill, how can you love everybody when they're doing sinful stuff like that? Because Jesus told me to. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, I've got to love my enemies. If that person despitefully uses me, I've still got to love him or her. And I will. I mean, I'm going to. And not because I necessarily want to, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit of, still got a little heathen in me I'm still working on. But the point is, I know Jesus wants me to love folks even when they're wrong. Even when they're evil, I've got to love them. Doesn't mean I love what they do. You know how that works. You hate the sin, love the sinner, right? So, (laughs) what Paul is saying here, the wrath of God. God's wrath. You know, he sang the song about Noah and the people drowned. That was everybody except for Noah and his family. That was everybody. That's the wrath of God. People say, well, now, you know, you can't emphasize that, Bill. Folks won't like you. Well, that's all right. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to like everybody anyway. And I'm going to love everybody. I don't even like everybody, you know. I, I said one time at Hobbs Street, of course, I was there a long time, so, you know, they really got kind of used to me. I said, uh, I said you know, I, we, we love everybody. Not, we don't necessarily have to like everybody. I said, I don't even like some of y'all. 
And boy, you should have seen when they came out. They said, am I one of them you don't like? <laughs> and there was a couple of them there I didn't like, but I learned to like them. The wrath of God. See, we're living in a time where people, you start talking about the wrath of God, folks say, oh, we don't believe in the wrath of God. We believe that God's Santa Claus. God's going to just save everybody. But God doesn't say He's going to do that. Now, we don't have the time to go through all of this uh, tonight, but you notice, you, you're familiar with the passage. He talks about all manner and sorts of sinful things that were in those days associated with the Gentile people. Now, the Jews did some of these same sins also. But these sins were primarily associated with pagan folks or, or Gentile people. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, homosexuality is mentioned rather explicitly uh, in, both, in terms of both sexes. By the way, I noticed the other day somebody had, had run a survey on the two most popular genders. Did you see that? There's two most popular genders. You know what they were? Men and women. Duh. Duh. There are no other genders. I can tell you somebody's gender just as soon as uh, you change a diaper the first time. So anyway, what, what Paul says here, that these people were so wrapped up in sin... That they did not, this is verse 28, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. What's going on in our world today? Why is it that you can't talk about God in the public and social media like you used to be able to? It's because this sin has run the idea of talking about God out of the culture. It's a fad. It's a trend. It's the way, it's, it's what's happening now. The people don't want to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Listen, <laughs> this is a perfect description of the way folks are thinking. Their minds are debased. By debased, that doesn't mean that they're incapable of righteous thought. Everybody is capable of proper righteous thinking. But folks have given that ability up. They've allowed their minds to become debased. It's the reality of sin. And, and one of the sad things about it is mentioned there in verse 32, speaking of these people who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. Not only do they do it, they approve. And, you know, there are people who say, well, I don't, do, there's a variation on that. I would never do that. But I can't say it's wrong for somebody else to do it. How are you ever going to help anybody with that attitude? It's like saying, well, I don't smoke, but I can't say it's wrong to smoke. Well, sure you can. 
I know some of you may still smoke. That's your business, I guess. But the fact is, you even if you do, you know it's not helping you. And that's just something as simple as smoking. But to practice these sinful behaviors, these other sinful behaviors that are mentioned here, I wouldn't say it's wrong. I would, I would never want... Somebody says, here's a quotation. Well, I'm not going to be a homosexual. But I can't say it's wrong for somebody else to be. You know, we're going to end up with a great problem in our culture and our society. Because we're not dealing with these matters honestly. Now, sexual activity. I think all the kids are somewhere else. Sexual activity is a matter of the behavior of a human being. How a person behaves. How a person does what they do. It's not a matter of their orientation or how they're made. We're either made male or female. Then what we do with our bodies is a matter of our behavior. And until we can bring this discussion in the media and in the, in the, social, in the social world back to that, uh, th- that level, we'll never make any progress. Because folks are always going to say, well, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. The way you want to be, maybe. I mean, just think about it. Think about, think about a heterosexual man who, cannot, who will not remain faithful to his wife. Has he got to be that way? What's the answer? No, it's not. He doesn't have to be that way. But it's the way he wants to be. Until we bring it down to that level, we'll never get anywhere. So, the reality of sin, the Gentiles, and then the Jews. He goes and talks about the Jews. Because Paul's a Jew and he realizes the Jews say, well, that might be the Gentiles, but that's not me. And he says, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. As I said, there's no way we can take the time to go through and delineate all of that. But then finally gets around to chapter 3, another verse that we all know. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Reality of sin. In the book of Romans. Take the time sometime in the next few days just to go through and, and read that and study it and to look at the different things that are described in the, in the first three chapters. But then you start, but as you get into chapter three, what you're going to begin to see is Paul revealing the solution to sin. So it's one thing to understand what sin is. That it's falling short or going beyond the will of God. The other thing that's necessary, absolutely necessary, is to understand a solution to it. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, the law there is, is a reference to the law of Moses every time it's mentioned, not just in the times it's capitalized in your translation. It's always a reference to the law of Moses. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Listen to this. Whom God set forth as a propitiation, the means by which sin is forgiven, a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The solution to sin is faith in Jesus Christ. Now faith in Christ doesn't only mean believing that he is the Christ. It means as the book of Romans makes plain. Believing and obeying and living in Jesus Christ. And that's so plainly taught in this book. Now, he deals with uh, Abraham's faith. And why does he talk about Abraham? Well, a big part of his audience, even for the, in Rome, were going to be Jews who might be interested in being Christians, maybe Jews that had become Christians. And they have an allegiance to the law of Moses. What they need to understand is that Abraham was saved by faith a long time before the law of Moses came around. Abraham was just about to sacrifice his son. And what did God say? Probably for our benefit more than any other reason. He said, now I know. He knew Abraham was faithful. Abraham demonstrated his faith. Circumcision hadn't come into being. The temple hadn't come into being. The priesthood hadn't come into being. None of that stuff had come into being. And yet Abraham was saved by faith. And faith is that which provides for us triumph. But it's not just mere mental assent. We all know that. It's not just believing. It's believing, obeying. You don't really believe unless you do obey. I love Romans chapter 5 verse 6 and following which says... For when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Much more than... Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And for the, for the Roman Christians, and for us tonight, what Paul wants us to realize is that if God would do that while we were separated from him, if God would save us by the blood of Christ while we were separated, while we were still sinners, What's he going to do for us now that we are in Jesus Christ? Being much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, much more have it been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've been reconciled. We've been made friends again. 
with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we obtain this? How do we obtain this? Well, we obtain it by obeying the gospel. And you say, well, now, in Romans, where does it have here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized? I mean, I, I still end my sermons that way. Most people I know do. Where does it have that? Well, I tell you what, it's a little different in the book of Romans because Paul is writing to the church at Rome. So what he wants them to do is to remember when they obeyed the gospel. Because by remembering when they obeyed the gospel, they'll be encouraged not to try to continue in sin. See, if you look back in some of this earlier material, one of the things that Paul's enemies were saying was that Paul says you... They were, they were accusing Paul of saying, you can do anything you want to because you're saved by grace. Like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but, but taking that out of context. People were saying, the Jewish enemies of Paul were saying, Paul says you can do whatever you want to do. And of course some of the libertarians were saying, well we can do whatever we want to do. Because the blood of Christ is that which saves us. Well Paul makes it plain that's not the case. And in making that argument, he takes the time to reinforce the actual methodology associated with our part in the plan of salvation. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May again it though. Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He says, now remember, now you take a minute right now. Do you remember when you were baptized? You remember it? I remember mine. It's on Ponce Leon Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia, the old Druid Hills Church of Christ building. We got back in the preacher's Buick and pulled out on Ponce Leon Avenue. He pulled out right in front of a pickup truck. I leaned over to Ginger. I said, just in time. Just in time. Therefore, buried with him through baptism and death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this also, that the old man's crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Christians, now every Christian knows, according to 1 John chapter 1, that we do sin sometimes. We come up short ourselves. But we don't live lives of sin. Somebody says, what's the difference between somebody who's a Christian who sins and somebody who's not a Christian who sins? Well, a Christian never gets up first thing in the morning and decides what's he going to do to sin today. A Christian gets up in the morning and says, how am I going to live without sinning today? A non-Christian doesn't even think about that. Not even concerned about that. Doesn't care about the definition of sin. We're not slaves of sin. We're not tied to sin. We're freed from that. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from what we have been. 
In Romans chapter 7, which is a great chapter when you feel weak, when you feel weak, when you feel like your struggles are getting the best of you, read Romans 7, because Paul was the same way. The man who wrote at least half, if not more, of the New Testament felt the same way. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, I've got friends who believe that he's talking about what, how he used to be. Well, if, he did, if he's talking about how he used to be, he certainly didn't use the right kind of language. He said, wretched man that I am. What Paul says is, hey man, I still think about sinful things once so often. I mean, I know how often he does. I know how often I do. Do you know how often you do? Sure you do. How do you feel about that? How do you feel when sinful thoughts crowd into your mind? I'll tell you how I feel. Wretched. Because I know they shouldn't. And I try to run them out. And I'm just like Paul. I say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knows that He has access to redemption even though He's not perfect person. Bert. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that's one of the other differences between dealing with sin as a Christian and a non-Christian. We don't walk according to sinful lifestyle. We walk according to what the Holy Spirit would direct us to walk through the Word of God. So we are free from sin. We are free from what we've been. And here, the chapter 8 is about this. We are free to enjoy the love of God. Think about that for a minute. Free to enjoy the love of God. What shall we say then to these things? Verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day along, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, and all, all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All these rhetorical questions in this section here, go back and just look at them carefully. In each instance, He's saying, if you belong to God, you have got it made. Now, you could lose it, but if you belong to God, nothing from the outside of you will separate you from God. Now, who can separate us from God? I can separate me from God. I have to want to to do that, though. It's one of the things that Paul teaches us. 
He said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, you, if you go through that material when you're feeling you, like your faith might be slipping, you might feel a little weak, you'll find yourself built up. Because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. God's Word, passages like these, will literally energize your faith. I mean, it's not, it's not something that's a preacher talk. It's exactly what will happen. Now, in chapter 9, uh, you've got, and really through chapter 11, the, pro- the problem of Israel, in other words, how do the Gentiles look at the Jews? How do the, how, how do the Jews look at the Gentiles? That's a big problem. And Paul deals with that in this section. And just in a very brief statement or two, here's what he said. There's a new Israel. The old Israel, that's of interest to us because it was through, through Israel that Jesus came. That's of interest to us on a number of bases. Does Israel count for anything? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, There's a new Israel. And the new Israel is the church. When we, in our world today, when we hear so much much talk about, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk going on right now because of the new government in the nation state of Israel, in Palestine. We hear a lot of people that are of uh, Christian denominational background talk about, well, now that's, That's God's people, is it? No. No. Are they they people that deserve a a chance to, they deserve a chance to live without missiles falling on them? Yeah, they're they're people who deserve that. Just like anybody else on this planet. But they're not God's people. Here's God's person, a person who believes that Jesus is the Christ, who turns away from sin, confesses the name of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and is baptized into Christ to be raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's, that's where you get God's people, according to the Bible. Now people say, well, you can't really say that, Bill, because there are a lot of people who don't believe that. Well, I understand there are a lot of people who don't believe it. That's, you know, and that's really... I mean, I love everybody, but that's not our problem. The problem is what does the Bible itself say about these matters? What time should I... About three minutes. All right. Romans 12. When I obeyed the gospel, I asked the guy that baptized me, and if I, I don't know if I've told any of you this before or not. But it was a friend of uh, Ginger's. Uh, she taught school at a school back then called Great Atlanta Christian. And this guy was one of the administrators there. And he was a gospel preacher, Roger McKenzie. Great gospel preacher. 
I asked him one time, I said, right, I don't know how I'm going to live this life. How am I going to live this life? He said, uh, I said, what passage can you give me that I can really center in on? I tell this to everybody I have a chance to tell it to. He said, Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans 1 through 11, the theological section of the book of Romans. Chapters 12 through 16 is the practical section. And Romans 12 is it. It is a concise code for Christian conduct. Romans 12 is a concise code for Christian conduct. conduct. Verses 1 and 2, live for God and for the truth. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove of that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verses 3 through 8, do what you can do. First of all, you live for God and live for the truth. Number two, you do what you can do. If you can come and help with VBS, that's what you do. If you can go on a mission trip, that's what you do. If you can uh, make a lot of money and give a lot of money, that's what you do. You do what you can do. Now, he doesn't say that in so many words in there, but if you go back and look at that material, he says, do what you can do. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If it's preaching, preach. If it's ministry, if it's service, uh, serve. If, if you can teach, teach. If you can exhort, exhort. If you can give, do it with liberality. If you can lead, with diligence. And then lastly, and this is verses 9 through 13, or 9 through the end of the chapter really. Behave yourself. That's what my mama always used to tell me. She said, now you behave yourself. And that's, that's living the Christian life. Romans chapter 12. Live for God and the truth. Do what you can do and then behave yourself. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you so much for, for your uh, attention this evening. I appreciate it so much. And that will do it for me.